Let us stand together and let us hear as God's call to worship comes to us this morning from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. Grace and peace unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to uh, turn now to um, scripture reading from Romans chapter 8, reading the verses 31 through the end of that chapter. Hear now the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May God indeed bless that to our hearts. Please turn with me now to Psalm 90. Very well known Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90. We'll read through the 17 verses of that Psalm. We're going to be giving our particular attention this morning to the first two verses. Let us hear the word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of your life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet your span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. We turn, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thus far the reading of God's most holy word. May God bless both the reading and the hearing of his word. You know, it is rather common for every generation, when they get to a certain age, and they look back, and there's a tendency to say, wow, where is this world coming to? It was so much better when we were young. And then the next generation that is now young gets to that point and they will say the same thing. And the next generation will again say the same thing. And from a human perspective, from a reality perspective, there is certainly a lot that we can point to today in our world, whether young or old, and be quite concerned. And that is true for everybody. I can't tell you how often, as I had the privilege to preach in many different churches over the years, and I am asked, what is happening to our world? What has happened to Christianity in our country? How can we survive? The first thing I saw this morning when I turned on the computer, ten people shot to death in a shooting in California. It's almost a daily occurrence that we see that heading in the news. What new virus will we face next? What will the stock market do in the next year? Where will inflation go? We could say, well, okay, those are, those are physical things. Those are not really the ultimate important things. They really don't count that much in the greater scheme of things. But what about Christianity? What about the, the church? What about the things that we hear from our academic institutions, from our, from our politicians these days? And we look at those things, and the future doesn't look all that promising. 
fact, it looks rather scary. How do we respond? Do we face the future with fear and trembling? Even as we, yes, it's a few weeks in now, but as we look at the new year, is it going to be something we're afraid of? Do we face it with hope and confidence? You see, what we are really considering is how do we understand God and how do we understand our relationship with God? That's what Moses addresses in Psalm 90, what he directs and speaks to immediately in the first two verses. The things that we have spoken of are only ultimately really a problem when we don't understand God and we don't know him as our God. And by the way, it is really important to understand. I know we are we, we struggle and we say, well, uh, we have never heard this kind of unbelief in our world. Yes, what we have experienced in this country, maybe for a couple of hundred years, uh, maybe as many as, as from the beginning of the nation, um, that's the unusual. The normal is what we see in our world today, because that's the depraved mind of the sinful man. And we should not be surprised at the depth of the depravity that man's mind can fall into. And the stuff that we hear from the academics and from the church and many other places should not shock us. That's the norm. Nevertheless, it is concerning. So when you look through the lens of Scripture at these things and take into account God and your connection to Him, then you will see that the things tends to be that we are concerned about become less and less concerning. That's what Psalm 90 is all about. Now the psalmist begins with our connection with God. And he says, you have been our dwelling place. For every generation. But even as he says that, he immediately underscores that to say that God has been our, uh, our dwelling place for all generations is based on the fact upon who he is. He is the eternal creator, God. Now there are, of course, people in our world, always have been and will be until the Lord returns, who really literally hate God. Or specifically despise and deny Jesus as Savior might acknowledge some sort of sense of a God. It is still, in fact, not even all that difficult to say, and there are many who do, I have a relationship with Jesus. I love Him and trust in Him. And certainly by those who identify themselves with Christ. And yet, just simply to say that. That statement alone reflects a simple, uninformed emotion very often, which meets felt needs. It makes me feel good that I have Jesus as my friend. But what Jesus, what Christ, and ultimately what God is being confessed with those feelings. When the psalmist Moses speaks about his relationship with God, he immediately reminds himself in these words and all of us about this God. Because who God is, is of ultimate importance 
when we talk about our relationship with him. And so Moses mentions three specific things. What we refer to in theology as the attributes of God. Characteristics about God which explain and talk about who he is. And that is he is eternal. Number one. Number two. He is the creator. And thirdly, he does not change. Now I am not smart enough to really know whether this is true absolutely or not, but someone not too long ago pointed out to me that of all the things that mankind knows about this creation in which we are living in, and observe with our, uh, even with telescopes, there is yet 97% of this creation that we know nothing about. That's mind-boggling. Yet, that of which we do know, mountains are pretty big things. You don't just very easily bring them in, set them up, and move them out again. But it is for God. First of all, specifically in this way, it says he is before the mountains. You know, it's really fairly well impossible to think about a beginning and an end to mountains. To say that he was there before they were is to say that he is eternal. He always is, has been, is, and will be. You, with mountains, there still is a beginning. With God, there is not. He simply is. There's no real way to think about how we can fully describe that concept because he is not like us. He is God. He is eternal, no beginning and no end. And the best thing that we can say then, and this is where that's really, really important, he is not subject to any concept of life or existence in terms of our reality. And so when you look at those things around you, God does not see them as you do. Now before you seriously ask the question, and it's, it's, it's a proper question to ask, but before we really ask what is happening in our world, before you get all wrapped up and say, how can things be so bad? How can we survive in this world with that kind of thinking and philosophy permeating our culture? Remember, this is God's creation. He brought those mountains into existence. He placed them where they are at. Not only has he erected as creator, he upholds his creation in the very palm of his hand. Now I certainly do want, not want to make light the things that we deal with in life. Whether disease, lawlessness, they are real. I know that some of you have dealt with tremendously difficult things. But the God who brought forth the mountains is more powerful. He is not just on the sidelines watching to see what will happen. 
He, the Creator, was there before the mountains, placed the mountains where they're at. He guides and directs every part of His creation and the life in every detail as we confess that not even the hair can fall from our head. I'm reminded of the statement in Heidelberg 26, our confession of faith, which speaks about the Creator God and says this, that the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth, with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and prominence. Every detail of your life, of everyone's life, is determined by the wisdom of God and guided by His providence. Yes, it is because of sin. We suffer the consequences. It's because of the depraved mind. And again, as I said, we, we as Reformed people understand just how depraved the depraved mind can be. Even though we are shocked and, and scratch our heads at things that people actually believe and say, but should not surprise us. It is the depraved mind which leads to foolishness because of the curse due to sin. And we do struggle as a result of that. But God is not the creator of evil. The creator God guides and directs the affairs of men and nations according to his purpose and for your ultimate good, in fact. We may not recognize that. There may be this particular thing in your life and that particular thing in your life, and you will never know what, what measure of good that could be in that, but God has it, be assured. Every detail of your life that will take place in 2023 will be by the sovereign supervision of the Creator God. That does not help your portfolio tomorrow necessarily, if you are concerned about those things. Or make everyone healthy, or for the world to see the foolishness of its own thinking. But it does give a perspective in life in which there is hope and confidence to one who knows God. Finally, of this God, Moses says, you are from everlasting to everlasting. The eternal God of creation does not change. He does not respond to things that are going on. He does not say, well, look what's happening. I better do this. The God of 23, the God of 1023, and the God of 2023 is the same God with the same purpose and the same guide for his people. We may look back at life and say, Boy, things really changed. We may even convince ourselves or argue about the fact that the real problem with life to say is that these young people don't do things the way we did them when we were young. And even be convinced that the way to assure life is to make sure we never change anything and do everything the same. Well, the reality is that God does not change. Man and what man does or has is not the standard. Because he is from everlasting to everlasting. It behooves you to constantly look back to the scriptures. 
in fresh ways to be sure that we remain faithful to him. As we have been reminded and considered who God is before, we then look at our relationship with God, and I want to remind you of what Paul says. Very interesting passage in the book of Acts and chapter 17, where if you can imagine the Apostle Paul finds himself walking the streets in Athens, and he's at the place called the Areopagus, where all the old philosophers would gather to discuss philosophy with one another. And Paul finds himself walking along with all the idols and all of the idolatry that he observes. And then he finds that there is a sign which reads to the unknown God. So the philosophers of Egypt wanted to, or of, of Greece, of Athens, wanted to make sure that they had recognized and took care of every god. And in case they missed one, they put up a sign for the idol of the one that they might not know about, the unknown god. And he says this in Acts 17, verse 22 and following. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, <clears throat> does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind <clears throat> to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and have and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Not only does Paul say that this God whom you are in your ignorance wanting to make sure that you cover and you set up this idol of the unknown God, not only does he, he say he is the God of creation, but he also he says, let me tell you about him because he is the creator God and it means everything regarding our life. In him we live and move and have our being. In him not based on what's going on in our life, health or sickness, poverty or riches, politics, good or bad, but in Him we live and move and have our being. To make sense of the reality that we are dealing with, you need to begin with God. And if you do not begin and move and have your being in Him, then indeed 2023 
can be a very scary proposition. Think about the life of Moses as we look further here this morning. Moses was supposed to be put to death when he was born, according to the laws of Pharaoh. He was not able to grow up in his own family. He was raised in a situation of privilege, but of idolatry, great idolatry. He had to flee for his life from that privilege, live in the desert, and when he settled and thought God uh, had... he was going to just live his life. God called him back to go to Egypt to face Pharaoh. And then when he's in the wilderness leading the people towards the land of milk and honey, and yet they all rebelled against him. And with that setting, filled with all the danger and of all the things that Moses dealt with in his own life, and yet he says, you, that is God, have been our dwelling place. In all generations. The generations which suffered and died in slavery. The generations which troubled Moses again and again. Yet a generation ready to enter the promised land. And all of these he acknowledges this is not about this history. It is not about what we concern ourselves with today. It's not about the headlines in the newspapers. In all of it our life is with God. That's why it does make a difference as to who God is. Think about the life of Moses. So you claim Jesus as your Savior, and that's great. You trust that you have salvation and say that you take comfort in the hope of eternal life. That's great. But when you get up in the morning, what's on your mind? Are you concerned about the prices at the grocery store? Probably should be. But are you more concerned about your relationship with God and trust in your Savior? Of course, we must deal with life in a responsible way. You must take care of yourself, protect your family. But where does your relationship with God fit into all of this. Is it off there in the future merely based on hope as what you see and observe? Or do you understand that when you see the bold advancement of transgender life, lawlessness rampant in the street, shootings every other day, where would more viruses come from? The list goes on. Is that what your life is and your hope is based on? Or that life really matters? That is with God. Not just someday, but now. In him we live and have our being. That's what Peter has in mind when he refers to believers as sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner is one who lives in a land which is not our own. That's where we are at today. Yes, the things out there are real, and yes, they can be scary. That's not where our life is. That's not where our hope comes from. It's not where we dwell. Your dwelling is the eternal God, and that's how you face 2023. You see, at the heart of this relationship, of the confession that our uh, dwelling place with God is based on what we can refer to as a legal binding promise that that God 
whom you dwell with, has made to you. Not that you've come to him and gained it. It is what God has made to you in the midst of our sin. And that, of course, begins with salvation. We call that a covenant. God has promised salvation, eternal life. It is the God who promised you life and all that you need. But the core of that promise, that covenant, is that the everlasting God, the God who does not change, has made to you an everlasting promise. We look back and we see how things have changed. We look to the future and we see very little to have confidence, but that's not about us. It's about God. Yes, God does hold every generation accountable. We are told in Psalm 78 that if we want our children to know the Lord and their children and our children's children, even those that we have never seen, then teach our children. So we are held accountable for what we're going to be looking forward to in the future. Absolutely. But I want to be very careful about how I say this. We ought to praise God for the faithfulness of those who've gone before us. Absolutely. That's not where we put our hope. We put our hope in the unchanging God. God does not call you to isolate yourself. One of the things that I also see that often happens, we look at a world, we look at, at, at much of Christianity is turned away from the scriptures, from the God, and the idea is, well, we have to hide ourselves from this world. We have to, we have to hide our children from the world they live in. We have to put up bunkers around, uh, around the church. You cannot raise your children in isolation. The problem is when you put bunkers around, there's still sin within. And that's us. It's not having God as your dwelling place. In fact, as we think about and realistically deal with what I've referred to as a scary future at the same time, what a tremendous opportunity, what a blessing, because more than ever before, we who are called upon by God to hold high the light of the gospel and not put it under a bushel basket, that we have an opportunity in the midst of a very dark world to boldly hold high that light of the gospel. And it does penetrate the darkness. Now certainly we would rather that our world, our culture, would equally embrace this word. But when we find ourselves in this world, which is indeed pagan, it affords a tremendous opportunity. It is also, in some sense, a good thing. There's no need to be afraid of the future of the world because your life is with God. The God of creation, the God who does not change, is the God whom we serve this next year. We praise God, as Moses did, for the privilege to serve him. That we can look back, we can look forward, and we can say, our dwelling place is with our God. We do so as a people who dwell with Him. And then you know what? 2023 is going to be a good year. Let us pray. Our God and Father, what a joy and what a privilege. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God, that our dwelling place is with you. And that you give us the confidence and the grace and the truth 
that you guide and direct all things unto your honor and glory. And we rejoice in that truth. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.